0: Hi, everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show, and thank you very much. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and it takes a village. Not one YouTuber, or podcaster, or influencer, or CEO, or coin, or protocol or wallet can move the space forward to be where we want it to be and part of my quest this month is to get to know the people that are in the space the other people like myself podcasters youtubers people that are having small businesses or entrepreneurs going out there and just doing it making space as vibrant and as fun and as informative as it is and this next guest mr peter mccormick of what bitcoin did podcast are one of those people he has an amazing story His backstory, his history makes him who it is today. And we had a very authentic, holding no punches conversation. And I am excited for you to hear his story. But before we go into that story, please go to Crypto101Podcast.com. There you can join our social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Come join our Facebook group, 4,000 people there to help you understand blockchain, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency. Go to iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating and a comment. It helps us stay visible. Also, go to book.crypto101podcast.com and pick up Johnny's Guide to Cryptocurrency. It's a great story that helps you understand blockchain, the cryptocurrency space, and the future of digital assets. Pick it up on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Kindle, iTunes, and much more for your friends and family for Christmas. And now, without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Mr. Peter McCormick of what Bitcoin did. We'll see you after the show. Peter McCormack of What Bitcoin Did. Welcome to Crypto
1: 101, sir. Hello. Thank you for having me on your show. Good to speak to you. I'm looking forward to this.
0: Absolutely, man. Good to speak to you. And well, you know what? I want to say that first, before we get into you, I want to say that I think you have the best name for any podcast out there.
1: Yeah, it's funny. It's a funny you should say that because at one point it felt quite restrictive because... It was what Bitcoin did, so people felt like it should be a Bitcoin-only show, mm-hmm. and didn't realize where the where the name had come from. So when I started interviewing non-Bitcoin people, you know, there are some Bitcoiners who were like, "What are you doing? Why why are you interviewing those people? This is about Bitcoin," and uh, they didn't know where the name had come from. So yeah, it's kind of kind of funny.
0: Yeah, man, I I really like it because honestly, I never thought about it as being what Bitcoin Bitcoin is being like a Bitcoin maximalist or just being Bitcoin in general, but what Bitcoin did to like the world or just the start of the movie, Movement or a start of the space—that's how I initially interpreted it. So I just thought it was a really great name.
1: Oh, but it was also a kind of a personal story as well. Oh, um, wow. it was a couple of things. Yeah. So back in uh, December 16, I was out of work. I'd had this advertising agency in London. I've told this story a few times now, but I haven't had an advertising agency in London, uh, very successful, was going very well. Uh, had a big office, like 35 staff. Uh, nearly three million turnover, like growing really, really fast. Then I got married and then divorced very quickly. My marriage broke up really quickly. It was really quite dramatic, actually. And yeah, yeah, but uh, it's okay. You know what, like it's one of these things now at the time it was awful, but because of what's come of it, I can't be too upset about it because I've got a very different life now, but it all collapsed very quickly. I didn't, I wasn't going to work and I pretty much had a year off work. Mm. And during that time, my mother got uh, very sick. She had cancer. And we wanted to get her some uh, CBD oil to treat her. And the only way we could get that was by buying Bitcoin and buying online. And mm-hmm. so my dad was asking me about it. And I said, I know how to do this. So I went on Google, searched for Bitcoin, found Coinbase, you know, bought the Bitcoin for Mum to buy the stuff. But sadly, it didn't work. She passed away January of last year. And... I was stuck in Ireland during the week after she passed away and I'd gone back into this Coinbase account because it had part of a Bitcoin left and I wasn't sure what to do. And then I saw this Ethereum thing. I'd never really heard of it. So I just turned around to Dan and said, look, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put some money into Bitcoin. I'm going to buy some of this Ethereum stuff, which was like nine dollars. So I bought a load of crypto. And then obviously we know what happened in 2017. Right. Yeah. And then like part of the way through the year, I was kind of like, I don't think I'm cut out to be a trader. Mm. I think I think I need to do something else. So I started writing and then um, my friend's got a podcast. So he was like, Why don't you do a podcast? So I I was like, Okay, I'll do a podcast. And I was at my friend's in LA and we were just sat on his terrace in Venice chatting away, trying to come up with a name. And I was like, I don't know. I I think I need to like, it needs to be explained kind of like what Bitcoin did for me. And he Mm -hmm. was like, Okay, we'll just call it that. And I was like, What? He said, Just call it what Bitcoin did. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's kind of cool because it kind of works on two levels. It works because it's like what it did to me, but it's also because it kind of spawned this whole industry. So yeah, that's kind of where the name came from.
0: Right on, man. So first, I want to say sorry about the divorce and sorry about your
1: your your mom. It, horrible, dude. Yeah, that was a that was a really bad, really bad couple of years. Actually, um, yeah, truly, truly awful. I think one day I'll tell the uh, the full story of it. But you know what? Like when I had my advertising agency, um, I was massively overweight. I never saw my children. I had a uh, <laughs> I had a significant drug problem. You know, like I wasn't really looking after myself. You know, stuff I'm quite embarrassed about, really. But out of that, now I get to interview people and travel in a really exciting space. Get to meet. You know, like it's uh, Friday morning. Rather than getting a train to London to look after clients I don't really like, I get to take my children to school, have breakfast mm-hmm. with them. Now I'm talking to you. Then I'm going to get my podcast live. And then I get to collect my children from school. You know, we'll go to the cinema. It's, it's a much better life. So divorce is awful. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. And uh, losing losing a parent is it's really, really tough. But you know, out of it came this. And it's kind of strange. I put a tweet up on the I think it was either on the anniversary of my mum's death or her birthday. But I was talking to my dad about it, and I was like, you know, without mum getting sick, none of this would have happened. Yet she doesn't know anything about this, and it's kind of strange yeah. that this has come out of it. But I'm, I feel blessed. I feel, you know, really grateful to have like a, another chance at a different career, um, even though it's come in a very strange roundabout way. Damn! Now that's an origin story right there.
0: You took something. Can we, can we just go back into a little bit about your life? Like you said that you were overweight, uh, had a drug problem. You have two kids, a, b- a boy and a girl can you tell us about your life yeah. before getting into bitcoin and blockchain and now that we know that the transition was the cbd oil just touch on who you were beforehand and how bitcoin and this whole space kind of changed you
1: yeah i'm not sure the space changed me like i've always been who i am as a person I'm a very hard worker uh kind of or, or very inquisitive about things, very competitive. So when I had my advertising agency, I just worked every hour there was to try and make a success. But the, one of the problems with the advertising industry is cocaine is quite prevalent. So, you know, I was exposed to it quite a bit. And that's probably not a good thing when you get divorced so so at the time I was just you know I would get up at six in the morning go to work work all day in London sometimes go out in the evening be drinking you know doing things I shouldn't be doing come back yeah I just wasn't in good shape because I didn't get a chance to go to the gym I would work all weekend uh, have a quite a crappy diet so you know, it wasn't that life was bad. I was just doing all the wrong kinds of excesses. And then my marriage broke up three months into the marriage. Um, unfortunately, my wife had started an affair with one of my best friends, uh, like <laughs> oh, just before our wedding. Serious? Yeah, it was so dreadful, like uh, about three months into our marriage. You know, we've been together 12 years, two kids, about three months into our marriage. I found, I found, found a picture in an email that I really oh. wouldn't want to have seen of my friend. Yeah, marriage collapsed uh, immediately because you can't really recover from that. This, you know, this photo was sent a month before our wedding. Sadly, our marriage broke up because, you know, my wife had fallen in love with somebody else. You know, what do you do about that? Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't take it very well. I stopped going to work, drinking heavily, uh, taking a lot of drugs and ended up in an ambulance because I had something called an SVT, which is it's like um, when the electrical pulses go crazy in your heart. It's kind of potentially pre heart attack. Mm -hmm so yeah it was kind of strange i was laying in the hospital bed with my business partner like next to me my ex-wife and i'd gone from a few months previous i thought i'd had everything this successful company beautiful family gorgeous wife everything seemed great and then i'm laying there with the doctor telling me dude you need to uh, realize you could have died tonight Lost my wife, my company's collapsing. Like it, it was like that story, you know, when you get like country western singers. I was like, I lost my wife, I lost my. They tell that story, they've lost everything. I was like, fuck, I've lost everything. So then I took a, I took a year off work to kind trying to get my shit together. And then mom got sick, and that was kind of a blessing in that I got to spend a lot of time with her because she lived in Ireland, so I could travel over whenever I want, go and spend a week with her. You know, just spend a lot of time with her and get to know her in a way I didn't get to know growing up. And formed a really, really strong relationship with her. So that was one of the positive outcomes of it all. Oh. And then from there, I kind of got into Bitcoin, as I told you, because of you know trying to get the treatment for mum. But I wouldn't say I've changed much at all. I'm, I'm still the same person. I'm, I'm slightly annoying. I um, I get into too many impassioned arguments about things when I should kind of take a step back. And um, but yeah, I'm still the same guy. I'm just like this hardworking, inquisitive guy who who can be a little bit antagonistic and annoying at times.
0: But you said your habits have changed, though. I mean, you're not, you know, sniffing cocaine and (laughs) drinking so much, are you? Or it's the same, same.
1: No, it was just, no, I don't. I haven't taken taken any drugs in four years. Um, I like a whiskey sour and I like a glass of wine. So I like a a drink occasionally, but there's no excess in my life now, you know, You know, I'm, I'm a full-time dad. I'm a single dad as well, mm-hmm. obviously, because of the breakup. And my son lives with me full-time now. So he's like, I'm a full-time dad to him. My daughter still sees her mum, So she's 50-50. And being a full-time dad is a real challenge because you're trying to balance homework, breakfast, school dinners, getting a call in the middle of the day because they forgot a PE kit. We're trying to work, prepare for interviews, engineer the interviews, get them live. Financially, life's very different because you've got to earn enough working on your own to make sure you cover the costs. So now it's kind of like I've got to have a little bit more responsibility for being a full-time dad um which I love but is you know very retiring. but no I live a much cleaner life now um and really dedicated to looking after my children and trying to produce the best podcast I can
0: man that's that's a lot to have happened in such a short time frame I'm just well first glad you you got out of it I'm glad everything's positive and I just again want to say I'm sorry all that stuff happened to you but it seems like you turned you know, lemons into lemonade and you're doing well with a great podcast and great in- interviews on there. How many of your listeners heard this story?
1: I don't think I've told the full story. Actually, I think this might be the first time. I mean, I've like released, I've said little bits here or there. Um, I, I think, do you remember when Pomp put out that tweet during the, was it Pomp or someone during the 2000 and, Fourteen, fifteen, bear market i did this and there's like a list of positive things people did and i think i put out mine saying i got divorced lost a friend uh nearly died from co- a cocaine overdose like and i've told little bits here or there but like you know this is the first time a lot of it's really painful um right you know there was a year of my life where i don't really know what happened i was it's just this real haze um you know, when you get married, you're marrying the person you love. You you want to spend the rest of your life with. Like the day before I got married, I got I got her name tattooed on me, and I thought we were, yeah, you know, truly in love <laughs> as a couple. I'm sorry,
0: we got to stop here. Wait. So uh, the, you have a, her name tattooed on yeah. you. Yeah. Oh
1: man. Yeah, I have, and, and and you know what? And I've still not got rid of it because every time I go to my tattooist, you know, look, I'm covered, right? But yeah. every time I go to my tattooist and we talk about it, he's like, because it's black. He said, "You've got to get it lasered at first, and it's in the most painful place." So I'm, I've still not dealt with it. So I've got to have to do it at some point. It's um, also the other thing is like my children see it, right? And I'm kind of conscious of them saying, "Oh, you've covered that mum's name," and like, you like my son would get it, but it's still that kind of thing. You're just trying to balance it. So uh, yeah, I've still got that. Oh god, yeah. You know, I got it the day before we got married. <laughs> it shit. was like a surprise for the wedding. It was like, look what I've done. And then obviously I got my surprise three months later from her. Like, look what I've done. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it is, you know, it is what it is. But uh, you've you just got to look back on these things and laugh. Like, I don't have a hard life compared to many people. So I can, I can take this all on the chin. Right. I don't know about
0: that, man. <laughs> That's a... Like you, you had you had me until you had the tattoo and the name. That was the icing on the cake that just made me go. I, I don't like her, man. I don't like I don't like her. I'm done.
1: Oh, do you know what? Like, uh, th- there's there's always two sides to a story, right? You know, if you sure, spoke uh, to her, she she would probably be like, all he did was work. You know, he wasn't there for his family, and a lot of what she would say would be very true. It, you know, she was, she would be right about that. There's always two sides to this argument.
0: I'm sorry, I'm trying to do an interview I'm over like, here, but you left me speechless, man. I have no, I have no clue what to say anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to, I just want to get grab some drinks with you <laughs> well, and complain and, about like this, this everything that happened, and, and just wrap out with you. But yeah, but
1: you know what? Don't. No, the, the, the reality is, like, I, apart from the impact on my children, which is obviously terrible. I, I wouldn't change most of it because, you know, relationships come and go. Obviously, we weren't suited. And um, I really, really enjoy my life. Now, the the time I get with my children, the podcasts I get to do, the interviews I get to do, you know, I think at heart I would have always liked to have been a journalist. I'm just not prof- I'm just not professional enough. But um, I kind of get to do this slightly less professional f- version of being a journalist, which I really, really enjoy. So, like, don't focus on the bad. That's just the journey to, of what happened to get here. But I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm content with life.
0: Well, and speaking of that journey of to get here, let's talk about where here is. You have a podcast, What Bitcoin Did. We got the backstory. We have the origin story. What made you decide to start a podcast? You said you started, you know, writing first. What? How did that transition to the podcast? What's it like being an entrepreneur in the crypto space and, well, that journey until now, the risks that you had to take, the hard work. You just told me like a little bit ago that you you flew to Japan four days out of your life to interview Rajveer. Let's talk about all of this journey.
1: Yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It, there wasn't really a plan. You know, I was um, thinking for a while trading doesn't have longevity to it eventually the bots and the algos will take over and i don't really know what i was doing i thought i did but you know if i was really honest i was just like guessing and buying like everyone and making money it was whether you made a 5x or a 10x rather than you know whether you lost and made money fortunately that meant you know i made quite a bit of money last year which i've lost most of this year by the way but uh, i made quite a bit of money last year and i just wanted something longevity out of it and I like the thought of doing a podcast. I like the thought of doing interviews. So I was in LA one weekend and I'd uh, Luke Martin was there and I would messaged him and said, look, Luke, I'm thinking of doing a podcast. Do you want to be the first guest? And he was like, yeah, cool, Pete, come over. So I ordered the equipment on Amazon, um, got it all sent to me, uh, t- just drove, you know, got an Uber over to his house and recorded the first episode. There was no real plan. So I did the first few and then didn't do any for a few weeks. And I was like, no, I need to take this seriously. So in the new year, I, I contacted Jameson Lopp and I said, look, and I thought, you know what, I wanna keep these in person. In-person interviews are the highest quality because you, you build a rapport with them, not only during the interview, but you have that twenty, thirty minutes with them beforehand and that time afterwards, you build a rapport and you build a I think a better long-term relationship. So mm-hmm. I emailed Jameson. I was like, look, I wanna come out, I wanna interview you. But also, can you take me to shoot a gun? Because I've never shot a gun. And he was like, <laughs> Yeah, cool, come over. So I booked the flight, went over, went to his house. As I got into his house, like he was getting all his guns ready, which was really weird because it was so natural for him. But like I've never I'd never even held a gun. So that was cool. We did the interview. Then he said, Oh, we're gonna go and get some lunch. So we went to this barbecue place. By the way, at the time I was a vegetarian, right? And I was like, I don't have the heart in this barbecue place to turn around and say, uh, do you have anything vegetarian so I was like yeah okay I'll have barbecue so I had barbecue with him the first time I'd eaten meat in a long time and then we went up to this gun range and shot guns which was and it was just such a cool experience and mm. what I realized from that is that it wasn't just about the interview it was a whole experience of getting to know Jameson that I really enjoyed so what I decided to do was do all my interviews in person which is very easy to do when Bitcoin's at 20 grand. Because you know, each interview, you're looking at like a two to four grand cost, depending on where you're going. And if you're lucky, in a city, you can maybe do two or three. Mm. So when I did went to San Francisco and interviewed Laura Shin, I also interviewed Carl Somani while I was there. Mm. But as we know, Bitcoin did stay at 20 grand. Um, I invested a few hundred thousand into loss making mining and you know a few things like that. So I don't have the same revenue as last year. Plus also it is quite restrictive. You know, keeping them all to the person is, is quite restrictive. So, kind of, I made the decision I'm going to mix it up now. Like, if I can't get to them, I will. Uh, I record it like we're doing now, mm-hmm. uh, over Skype or Zoom. But if I can, I'll, I'll go out and see them. So next week, I'm off to Washington. I've got three interviews in Washington. One of them is a very, very interesting one. I'm very excited about. Uh, when does this show go out?
0: This is probably going to be two and a half weeks from now.
1: Right. So I can say it because I've done the interview by then. So I've been invited out to interview Hester Pierce from the SEC. So she's the commissioner who keeps dissenting every time the ETS get denied. Yeah. So I'd been pushing for that for quite some time. And eventually uh, they've got back and said I could do it. But that was one of the ones I felt like I need to do that in person. Right. I need to go to the SEC and interview her. Uh, and then I'm going to do a couple in New York. So, yeah. So that's kind of the journey of going, doing some in person and some not in person. And what I felt like doing them in person did was almost like accelerated what I was doing and that allowed me to kind of build a, a kind of a USP. So people going, oh, Pete goes and does his all in person, right? Right. And that's, you know, involved a lot of travel, meeting some great people, including which, like you mentioned, was Roger Veer in Japan, which was a very interesting experience itself. So, yeah, and I got a lot of shit for that.
0: It's funny that you, it's funny that you mentioned that because, um, and you mentioned Jameson because when I was interviewing Jameson, he told me about your experience. That's why I said, I remember that. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so, so not only did I, I think I probably brushed by it on Twitter or what have you, but then when I was talking to Jameson, he's like, yeah. And then this guy came out to my house and we shot guns. And I was like, who is this guy? <laughs>
1: yeah and it was such a cool experience and i've got to know jameson a little bit better now we've done three interviews now i saw him at consensus last year and we had lunch um super interesting guy like has the best tweets um probably one of the most respected people in the industry and and actually he's done so much to help me like he's done like i can email him now and i've got an idea for example i want to do a mimble wimble interview and there's two main implementations now grin and, and beam and so i dropped him an email and said look I don't get this James what's going on here. This is over my head. And, he'll drop me back an email same day explaining things so Mm -hmm. he's probably been one of my biggest supporters and one of the most helpful people in doing the podcast and i'm truly grateful to him actually
0: that's awesome man as being an entrepreneur in the crypto space do you recommend traveling around the world and spending that money to interview people to people who might want to
1: get into podcasting or is this something that just (laughs) Uh, you can do i'm near london right and occasionally people pass through and i've managed to interview some people in london so i interviewed joe carlson where she is here and um I interviewed Adam back when he was here, but like it's it's quite random. Whereas if you're in like New York or San Francisco, there's always somebody passing through, so right. you can do them in person, right? There's always something going on. It, it all comes down to what you want to achieve. Like I say, at the time, Bitcoin was at twenty thousand dollars, right, or fifteen thousand, but going up. And in my head, like I I was happy to spend like, a couple of Bitcoin on the whole thing to build up the podcast. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, I spent all that money. I probably spent like fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 on the podcasting equipment, engineering, traveling, maybe a little bit more. But I think what that did is that helped me accelerate the growth and the recognition of it. Because look, I, like if brutal honesty, I've got like one goal here. I've got two kids, single dad, full time. You know, I can't go and get a job in London, which pays well, and I need to create a sustainable income so I can support them and provide for them for now and the future, right. and also myself, right? You know, right. that's just the cold reality is that uh, I need an income. So – my goal is to create the best podcast I can to grow it as quickly as I can so I can have revenues coming in to support my family. I think there's this kind of thing in crypto like sometimes people are upset if you are trying to earn money or make money and I get it because there's loads of scammers out there but you know people have to earn an income right. So that was the goal and you know if I had the money and time I would try and do every interview in person and travel around and do it Uh, but I've got the commitment now that my son asked to come and live with me full-time so he's with me full-time so I can't Mm -hmm. travel as much anymore Uh, I'm I'm okay next week because his grandparents are going to look after him but I can't just keep doing that leaving him on his own so it has to uh, be a rare occasion now but uh, if, if somebody wanted to build a podcast what I would say is like, do you do any of your interviews in person?
0: Man, I am in southern Taiwan. Nobody comes through here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, I, do you know I'd recommend? Like, do one in person one day, and what you'll realize, you build a different rapport. It's much easier to read body language when you're with somebody. So one of the yeah. most annoying things you'll realize, you know, when you're doing a podcast is when someone talks over you. Like, that, that intersection between me ending a sentence and you starting can sometimes be quite awkward. And... Mm-hmm. I'll you'll think I've ended and then you'll speak and then I'll speak and you kind of speak over each other for a few seconds. So that happens a lot less in person because you can read the body language. You can do arm right. and hand gestures that gives them an idea that you want to speak a bit like Zencaster. If you use Zencaster, they have that thing where you can press the hand, right, put the your hand up to say so yeah. you want to speak. Yeah, but also, like, you get that time before and after the interview. So, for example, my I, when I interviewed Roger Veer, we had a good 40 minutes after the interview where we just hung out and chatted. And, like, he was nothing like the Roger I see in interviews or on YouTube, the guy that everyone kind of hates on. He's, you know, a very different guy. And, I, you know, a really great conversation with him, like, outside of what everyone thinks of him, right? Right. Um so I'm saying if you've got the money and you want to create the best podcast possible yeah do do it in person but there's nothing wrong with doing them online you just have to make sure you just engineer the sound as best possible.
0: Why did you choose Bitcoin? Why did you choose cryptocurrency? We know about the CBD oil. We know that you started, you know, using Bitcoin to buy that. But what is it about the space that kept you in and what it, how does it work with your personal philosophies or your ideologies
1: in life? Great question. Um, A lot of it is just coincidence and chance, right? I just fell into it. And look, if it hadn't been Bitcoin, it would have been something else, right? I would have fallen into something else. I would, uh, you know, when I worked in advertising, I was pretty good because I worked hard. And I'm doing okay at this because I worked hard. I'd have found something else and I would have worked hard at that, right? Um, The interesting thing about Bitcoin is... (sighs) one of the things is quite difficult is i try not to always have too firm an opinion on something and what i found is that like interviewing people you're interviewing people with strong opinions so i when i prepare for each interview i try and take the position of agreeing with them and disagreeing with them so i can prepare the right set of questions um naturally though you sometimes form an opinion uh, which is you know difficult uh, but one of the things i found really about interesting about bitcoin i've learned about a bunch of things i didn't even know exist like i studied economics at school right but it was keynesian economics i'd never heard of austrian economics and now i'm hearing about all the problems with keynesian economics right um i never heard of libertarianism and i sometimes struggle with it like i'm like this sounds absolutely right but what you're basically saying is all taxes theft oh crap I thought of myself as a socialist, right? I was one of those people who would argue in the pub with my friends, like, tax is good. Come on, guys. We're really lucky here. You've all gone to, like, a public school. You're very fortunate. You've had a great education. You need to give a bit back. You know, we should pay tax, and we should help those less well off. Now you, you speak to any libertarian, they're like, tax is theft. Mm. And they'll explain to you, like, oh, fuck. Well, that, that sounds right as well. So i it's, it's, tell you what's tough is, like, I allow my opinion to get easily swayed so i can learn as much as i can to try and do as many interviews as i can to the highest quality right mm-hmm. so i interview bitcoin maximalists, and i totally empathize with them but i'm also i'm going to do an interview shortly where we're going to be challenging bitcoin maximalism taking the counter view you know i had steve keen debunking economics on because i wanted to have you
2: have-
1: have a alternative view of bitcoin right so i I guess the thing that's interesting about bitcoin is like i find the technology amazing i just find what's going on amazing this global decentralized money where you can transfer value and it's worth you know whatever five and a half thousand dollars now and it was twenty thousand dollars i just find that super interesting and i find it really cool that i get to learn loads of new stuff but look if it hadn't been bitcoin it would have been something else and also if i'm honest like i'm trying to get this i'm trying to launch a new podcast which is not bitcoin stories because the, my most favorite interview I ever did was with Lynn Albrecht, like researching that. And it's a very personal story, like a super personal story. And so I've I've already done four interviews for this other podcast. And they're all just personal stories about things that have happened to people in, in their lives and things that have affected them. Mm. So I think I just like finding stories more than I actually like Bitcoin in some ways.
0: Right. No, I, I totally understand that. Is that a
1: good answer? I feel like I've waffled off.
0: <laughs> no, you don't. No, no, no. It was definitely a good answer. Speaking of Bitcoin and, and challenging people's ideas and taking different stances on Bitcoin and learning as much as you, you can about the space, different ideologies, and you just said you are pretty neutral when it comes to these interviews. However, I one of the reasons why I... Not entirely neutral. Not entirely neutral, and I'm going to get into that. Uh, I, I reached out to you because I just had David Gerard author of attack of the 50 foot blockchain on the podcast and then i read a couple of tweets of yours that said you interviewed him but you won't release it and I, that really i was like okay wait there's another side of the story i'm intrigued could you please tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah yes yeah, very simple i mean firstly have you ever not released any of your interviews yes yes yeah i've had three now that have not been released for different reasons mm-hmm. you know uh, I had one recently that just descended into an argument, and I don't think it made either of us look particularly good. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it benefits anyone. Despite that, I, people will listen to him probably whoop and holler, or or, or some will like it somewhere. And I think some people will say, "Pete, you're an idiot," and some people will say, "The game is an idiot." I decide mm-hmm. not to release that. The one, the thing with David Gerard, right? We did the interview, and there were a couple of things. I actually agree with him on some points, a bit like Nouriel Rabini, but I also disagree with him, and I think he fundamentally doesn't understand Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Secondly, his incentive is quite clear. You know, he said to me in the interview, uh, I made a book. I like money. It makes me money. So I'm going to continue writing. So he made it very clear to me like his incentive is financial, right? But what happened was when I was researching it, I found some comments from him with regard to Ross Brick saying he hired hitmen. you know, which is fair enough that he wrote it at the time because of the sources said he did and everyone thought he did. But those charges have now been dropped. They were never proven. There's a lot of complexities around the case. But the burden of proof is is you are guilty beyond reasonable doubt, otherwise you're innocent. And I didn't by any means want to trap David, but during the interview we're talking and then it came on to Ross Albrick, and then he said that uh, about Ross Albrick with murder, the murder of higher charges. And I said, well, look, listen, the state of Maryland has now dropped those charges, so he is innocent of those. He's not been proven guilty, he's innocent. You know, So I think you should probably redact the comments. And he said, no, I'm not going to. You know, I've got my sources. And I was like, fine, but those sources for, are from a long time ago. Those sources are from back when you wrote the book, but there's new information. So I think you should stop saying it. I think you should redact those comments. And he didn't. And I'd engineered the interview. And, I listened to it and I just thought, John, I don't even think this is a – I just don't think it's a very good interview. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to put stuff out that isn't very good. And sometimes, you know, of the three I haven't released, an interview cannot be good because of the guest. It cannot be good because of me. It cannot be good because we don't gel. It's it's not me blaming the guest. It's a variety of reasons. It, right. it just might not come out very well. And I wasn't keen on it anyway. And then he put out another comment about Ross Albright. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to keep doing this. We're we're gonna have it right. Right. (laughs) I'm not gonna have it with you. I'm just not, you know, I'm not having you put out these comments. Um, you know, I support the family, I'm a big fan of the family. I'm not arguing that Ross shouldn't have been in prison, I'm not arguing that he didn't commit a crime. I'm just arguing around the ethics of making claims about somebody which they've not been proven guilty of. And also, there are some things that I feel that Ross did were heroic. Like, if you think back to how I told you got into Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. The dark web place where i was buying a treatment for my mum, which is illegal in our country yet is something we wanted as a treatment of course i'm gonna buy that right i don't in the time when you're you know you're in a hospital and your mother is dying you're like you're seeing her die and you're seeing her body break down she's losing her hair she's unable to walk you don't give a fuck about the law right you're like okay i'm reading about this i'm gonna try this right. so because of the road that the Silk Road paved for these other dark web websites, I was able to buy treatment for my mother. And that made me realize there's a bigger cause here, right? Sometimes you have to stand up and do things which are potentially illegal by the law, but morally correct for you. So I'm truly grateful that that was an opportunity and something I do for my mother. So I don't look at Ross as this hardened kingpin criminal. I look at somebody who broke the law, but because of what he did was great for me. So when David Sherrod is out there putting out these statements of Ross hired hitman, he's a narcissist, blah, blah. I was thinking, you know, I'm just not having this. So I said to him, look, I think you need to redact those comments. And he refused. He wanted evidence. He said he basically wanted me to prove that Ross hadn't committed the murder of high charges. And I think the only proof you need is, well, the charges have been dropped. Right. Like the burden of proof isn't on proving someone's innocent. The burden of proof is proving someone's guilty. And I just thought, you know what, mate, you're you're talking fucking nonsense. So I'm not releasing our interview. Um, I don't want to. I don't think it was a great interview. And I don't particularly like you putting out these statements. So now every time he puts out any kind of uh, disingenuous statement, I just respond to him and say to him, I think you should redact your comments because the charges have been dropped. And yeah. it happened before as well with, um, there's a politician, I can't remember her name, uh, Brenner, someone, uh, she's space cat gal. You know, she's a supposed bitcoiner. She wants to uh, make Bitcoin legal. And, and at the same time, she was like, Ross Ulbricht should spend the rest of his life in prison. And mm. I was like, how can you be a bitcoiner and think Ross Ulbricht should spend the rest of life in prison? I think you sound like a Bitcoin chancer. Rather than somebody who understands the history of Bitcoin, because I don't believe there's any true Bitcoiners who believe Ross Ulbricht should spend the entire his entire life in prison. And uh, yeah, I'm going on here because this is one of these things that really pisses me off. But also, what's quite interesting, conversely, I don't know if you saw the news yesterday with Donald Trump with prison reforms. No, I so hear. they're me. looking to reform. Uh, yeah, it's great. Like, so he's put out this. Um, he did a short press conference explaining that they're looking at prison reform for nonviolent criminals. Like, what is the point in keeping a nonviolent criminal in prison? when they, it costs a lot of money and they could be out there doing good. Mm-hmm. So, so for example, someone like Ross Albrick, he is not going to come out of prison and create another illegal website. And he's not going to become a drug dealer. And he's not going to go and shoot somebody. If that guy comes out of prison, he's most likely going to do some humanitarian work, charity work, some kind of private business, maybe be a teacher. He's going to do something that has value to society while at the same time not costing the government any money. Yeah, I've gone on one. I've got gone on one here. This is this is what I do. Apologies. <laughs> no,
0: no worries. No worries. I think that it's uh, jumping to a big conclusion to say he, that um, Ross would come out and do something positive for society, but it's also uh, easy to say that more than likely he's not going to do something negative or detrimental to society. But talking about David, why do you think he keeps putting out those? statements that you think are disingenuous and why do you think people like him keep putting out these statements about ross or other people
1: i just think there are some there's some people out there who are disingenuous he's got a book he wants to sell he obviously su- supplements his income he sold more than he expected uh you know eight and a half thousand every time he sells a book he, he makes five pounds so if he tells i don't know if he tells another ten thousand books he makes another fifty thousand pound um he's become a voice in the space and i just think he's got a little bit lost in his argument, but I don't think anyone should be selling books based on uh, something that that isn't true. Um, I mean, Nick Bilton's the same. Nick Bilton wrote American Kingpin, which is essentially a novel glamorizing Ross Ulbricht and the Silk Road that's got amazing reviews on Amazon and was a New York Times bestseller. But when you dive into it, he's glamorized and created fictional accounts of certain information to make an interesting book. And he also perpetuated it's the murder of a high charge and i just feel it's disingenuous because these there's people's lives you're playing with here Mm -hmm. and one of the saddest things about ross Albrick is you know as i've tried to support the family and support it i often get oh yeah but he, uh, he hired people for murder it's like it always comes back to that or you know he was child trafficking or he was allowing people to buy kidneys and it's just like all these this bullshit that isn't true seems to get perpetuated and i think if somebody has a platform and a voice like david gerard he shouldn't be using it to perpetuate what is essentially an untruth so every time you out there i'm going to be on his case and telling him to redact his comments
0: there he is the batman the cape crusader against his nemesis <laughs> david gerard <laughs> oh,
1: God. it's kind of embarrassing really
0: have you shifted from a socialist to a libertarian
1: good question i would say i'm if anything i'm kind of lost on my own opinion Hmm. so like i see i see value in different strands of kind of politics like in the uk i see value in policies which get people out to work right which which say if you if you want money go and earn it get a job work hard you know i i I see the incentive model but I also at the same time i think libertarians will have a problem with the national health service because it's socialist it's like so I have to pay for your health care. But then I think, God, I like the NHS because it, it means it, it is universal health care and, you know, libertarians won't be there. But then I see the libertarian argument. and I'm like, well, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Why should I have a gun held to my head to take away what I've earned to give to somebody else? So honestly, I'm I've researched so many bits. I find it difficult to pin myself to one and almost like I don't want to. Because when I, when I want to have people on and discuss things, I want to be able to see both sides of the argument. So I find it very difficult to form a very firm opinion. But if anything, I would say I am very attracted to libertarianism and I'm enjoying learning more about it. But I'm, I don't know enough about it to know if I would say I'm a libert- full libertarian myself. I'm certainly heading down that as another rabbit hole.
0: <laughs> I mean, we don't have to have labels. It fits labels. nicely with Bitcoin as well. Yeah, we definitely don't have to have labels. But uh, can you be a libertarian socialist? Is that a thing? I mean, uh, if you have anarcho-capitalism, I, guess,
1: then <laughs> I don't know if you could be a libertarian. <laughs> I
0: was, it, was, it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek there. I have no clue myself, yeah. nor, nor do I really, really care to label myself. All I know is, yeah, you got to work hard. You got to, you know, do what you need to do. And, you know, the competition is good. And, you know, well, I, I do like single-payer systems, um, national health care. I live in, in Taiwan, where we cost about $600 a year. You go to the hospital, you get you get fixed up. It's amazing. It's an amazing system. Uh, we just went through the ringer in the United States when my grandfather had a heart attack. He was in there for a, a, a month in the hospital, probably a couple million dollars. The best hospital, they gave him all the care. We had nothing to say about it. They just kept on doing all kinds of shit to him. And, well, somebody got stuck with the bill. I have no clue.
1: Yeah, I've, so I've noticed that in, in the U.S., uh, speaking to friends out there, a very complicated system. They get bills all over the place from different people and they seem to over treat people. Mm-hmm. My friend, his uh, daughter, she busted a finger, right? And she's been having months and months of treatment. And I just know here in the UK, like if it was my son, like he had a lot less treatment for a broken arm. Mm hmm. It just seems like they over because they want to stick as many bills in as they can, and so the incentives model is wrong in healthcare. Plus, you also see it, right? Every time I go over there, you put on the TV every third advert is for some medical right. treatment, some, some drug, pill, some something. Yeah. yeah, for some condition I've never even heard of, with this weird, long, very fast spoken <laughs> disclaimer at the end. So there's a, there's an incentive to make you ill or convince you you're ill, so you have to get this pill. I think the American system is isn't great either. <laughs> you can find a hole in every system, though, right?
0: It's true. It's true. Peter, you mind if we go into some general questions about the space? Yeah, cool, man. What do you think of the crypto space these days, just in general? The people, the tech, the price. What is your overall feeling going through the euphoria of 2017, coming through this lull bear market in 2018, not knowing how we're going to end
1: the year? How are you feeling? I just find it really entertaining. <laughs> i like i like going on twitter and throwing out hand grenades and seeing what happens and uh, (laughs) antagonizing people just just for a laugh to see what happens and uh uh but uh, i just find it really entertaining i mean what a wealth of intelligent people we have you just go Mm. on and you can read like someone like nick carter just the stuff he produces the the quality of his writing is is amazing or or Tony Shang, I think, is it Tony Chang? Yeah, I mean, him as well. They're like, there's so many really smart people producing so much intelligent content. Or Nathaniel Whitmore with his Long Read Sundays. Like, you can just spend, I think I spend probably an hour to two hours every morning just reading and reading and learning. So, yes, I find it, There's a, it's a mixed bag. It's very entertaining, watching all the fights and the, the arguments. I think that's super cool. And it's very educational. And it's just really exciting to see what's going to happen like how's this all going to play out is is it just going to be bitcoin and then a couple of little stragglers or or, or are we going to have a multi-coin market i don't i don't believe we will i think there's lots of disingenuous behavior going on there's a lot of bag holders pumping bags Mm um i don't know it's just it's, it's wild right i wonder if there are other communities like it at all we're just completely on our own I mean, maybe there are lots of communities. Everyone's just arguing in their own little private communities. But I just find it very entertaining and intriguing to see how it's all going to play out. I, I, I agree.
0: What do you think of the people that are pretty disingenuous that are here just to cause trouble in the space, maybe fork a coin or two or claim they're people, they are somebody that they're not? Uh, what do you think of these people in the space right now? It seems like there's more and more popping up every day.
1: Well, hmm. So, coin forking, I guess. I guess coin forking, you can't really have an issue with it, right? It's a it's a it's a free market, right? If somebody has a better idea, and they fork a coin, and people want to use it, that's a freedom of choice. And if that ends up becoming a more successful coin, it has done for a reason, right? Um, I don't believe any of the Bitcoin forks are are particularly. I don't believe any of them are going to have longevity. I do find the fact that it's happening as a good test, and it's kind of interesting. Let's see how it plays out. It's a shame they keep calling themselves Bitcoin this or Bitcoin that. I think if Bitcoin Cash had called itself something else and said, "Look, we're going to test this bigger blocks," I think we would have avoided a lot of arguments. It would have been useful to see how bigger blocks, you know, work out both technically and uh, game theory. Um, I find now it's just got a little bit ridiculous. I mean. I'm barely keeping up with the Bitcoin cash forks and wars. It's kind of funny in that you've got this guy who claims to be Satoshi, right? At the same time, acting like a megalomaniac, control freak dictator, wanting to control the direction of where Bitcoin going, which is completely in contrast to everything we've read, understood, or think of as Satoshi. Mm -hmm. And like what was happening yesterday was this hash war between it's essentially a hash wall between two groups of people, but like a handful of people, it's a complete opposite of what I believe Bitcoin stands for. So I just kinda of think it's it's almost sad. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I enjoyed interviewing those people, but I do, yeah. I just, I just find it sad. I'm losing interest in forks of Bitcoin. I just think, I think it's just ego and greed Mm -hmm. that's creating these things now. Probably a little bit more ego.
0: (laughs) Is there anybody that you respect in the space right now? Like who, who, if they were going to write something, that you would just make sure that you read what they wrote?
1: Well, I read everything Nick Carter writes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I read everything Tony Shang writes. I like. Pretty much everything Pierre Rochard writes. I think I find him really interesting. I enjoy his podcast and I enjoy Stephen Levera's podcast. So we, I'd be, I be—I don't know if he writes. I'd be interested to see if he did. I also write like everything uh, Hasu writes. Do you know Hasu? No, I don't. Yeah, you know, he's come on the radar. I like everything he writes. And I can listen to Marty Bent to go to sleep to every single night with his docile tones. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think we're very lucky to have Nick Carter in the space. And I think he's probably one of the best contributors to Bitcoin and I find his writing just truly incredible. And I think, yeah, we're very lucky to have him. I think the shame is we don't have any mainstream uh, journalists writing anything good at places like, you know, New York Times. Well, actually, that's not fair. I, I like what Nathaniel Popper does. But, I you know, I've, I've taken issue recently with a lot of stuff that Wall Street Journal is doing. And I think they just want to attack the space. I think we need to get some of these writers out into the mainstream press of writing mainstream crypto articles.
0: Well, the way I think of it, I think that we're actually people like me and you and other people that are in this space with uh, pretty uh, popular or successful podcasts. We will be the mainstream in a couple of years because I don't think anybody's going to trust the uh, CNN when they start, you know, writing about Bitcoin or whatever mainstream media that is going to be out there. I think that you know it's going to evolve to we are going to or whoever in the space maybe not us but in general but somebody in the space is going to start coming up and create a media company that is going to represent crypto and it's going to go go mainstream
1: yeah, yeah. you're probably right actually this is, this is I blo- like what the block are doing the block yeah I might do this His project the block uh with fintech frank i think they're doing some really good work some really good writing i think they've probably got the biggest chance of going mainstream with their work
0: who do you follow and who do you pay attention to for entertainment purposes there's all kinds of people in the space you know there's crypto add whatever name ad after it crypto batman crypto robin crypto whoever you know <laughs> you have you have all the marvel characters in crypto <laughs> who, who do you like to follow who are you who, who, who's entertaining to you
1: uh, so it took me a long time to figure out his entertainment, but Crypto Cobain makes me laugh now. And at first, I just thought he was—I uh, <laughs> thought he was vulgar. And I just—I did, didn't get the joke. Uh, it takes me a bit of while. So, but he—he uh, he does make me laugh now. Um, who else makes me laugh? Niraj niraj comes out with the best memes <laughs> like as i tweet and annoy people i keep i used to say what would niraj do no he wouldn't put that out because you're just antagonizing people and being an idiot uh, but niraj uh, really r- i find him really entertaining and there's loads of people i just sometimes you can just sit there and just just be cracking up oh cody do you, do you know about my crypto twin
0: my crypto twin
1: do you not know about this
0: no. What?
1: I was out in Ve- I was out in Vegas for, well, CryptoCon. I went out to meet Lynn Ulbrich. And everywhere I was going, I kept having people say to me, all right, Cody, how are you? And I'm like, oh, yes. oh Peter. I like, saw your tweet on that. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. And then, yeah, then then somebody was like at my party. They're like, are you right, Cody? I was like, I'm not Cody, I'm Peter. And she went, oh, yeah, you're right. There's Cody. And Cody walks in. I'm like, people keep saying to me, hi, Cody. You're Cody. I was like, yeah, people keep saying to me, hi, Pete. I was like, ah, so like, I don't know if you saw how much we look alike.
0: Dude, you guys look Um, exactly alike. Exactly alike. I know.
1: My daughter was like, you found your twin. We all have a twin in the world. You found yours. And then she was (laughs) upset she hasn't found her twin. But uh, like I've got to say, he's become my new favorite guy on Twitter. He does these little short videos that are absolutely hilarious. So I really like his stuff as well.
0: That's hilarious because I, I, I remember you, you did put, that, put out that tweet. I think it was only a couple of weeks ago, right? And, you, and it was a picture, yeah, yeah. A, a selfie was- with you two together. And I was just like, I don't even know who, who I'm looking at right now. Which one's the real one? <laughs> <laughs> if somebody was new listening to this podcast, Crypto 101 is kind of positioned to be that first stop. It's in the name. What would you tell them about the crypto space? What would you tell them about Bitcoin? And what would you tell them about
1: falling down that rabbit hole? Oh, wow. Um, that's a good question. Well, do you know what? It's more where I tell people to go. And if they really want to get into Bitcoin, most people get it because they want to make a bit of money. You know, that's the truth of it. And then it's when you fall down the rabbit hole, you find all these other interesting things about it. I still think most people, most people want to make money. But I tell them go and read Digital Gold by Nathaniel Popper. I tell them go and watch Banking on Bitcoin. And then go and start going through the resources on James and Lot's website, and then you've just got to kind of take a position as like if you're in, if you're interested in Bitcoin, you need to understand you're going to spend a good year, two years, continually learning, and you just need to take a position and a stand like, what do you think this is going to be? What do you think it will represent in the future, and what part of it are you willing to buy into, right. you know, financially to be part of that? And that's that's kind of what I tell them, you know, just but don't rush. Like Bitcoin is kind of binary; it's either going to be global digital store of value or it's not and if it's not then people are going to exit and and want to sell so it's kind of like it's not definitely going to do it and it's not definitely going to fail so take a position based on what you think the chances are of it being uh, a success if it is a global digital store of value then over the next 10 years it could be worth trillions of dollars and therefore only one bitcoin could be your retirement and it also could be completely fail so don't put all your savings in there because you'll you might have no retirement
0: peter host founder of what bitcoin did before i ask this last question i just want to say thank you very much for an hour of your time and thank you very much for well doing what you do in the space and well damn man and telling some amazing heartfelt hard stories and totally throwing me off my game for the first half of this podcast (laughs) thank you for coming on sir i'm sorry
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I didn't I didn't I didn't plan to tell you about that um, I've been on a couple of podcasts before and I've like told a little bit so I, I didn't plan to tell you that so um, yeah well thank you for having me as well you know like um, this isn't the first time we have spoke we've talked for a while now and I've obviously been aware of your work too and you know I, I, I appreciate what you're doing I appreciate what everyone in this space is doing it's, uh I think we're very fortunate to have so many good podcasts and everyone seems to get on and be friends as well.
0: I just got back from a conference in San Diego, It's was a spatial conference uh, put out by XYO Network. And it was just honestly amazing by how many people are just great people trying to find either the next big thing when it comes to investing, the next big thing to change the world and just coming together regardless of any background under one common purpose. And it's an amazing space to be in, an amazing time to be in it too.
1: Mm, I totally agree.
0: Last question, sir. What three songs would you like to put on the Crypto 101
1: Spotify playlist? One song I definitely want on is "I Want Nutshell" by Allison Chain. Okay. The MTV Unplugged version. It's my okay. favorite ever song. Uh, I have the the lyrics to it tattooed on my arm. Oh wow! And um and actually, the singer a tattoo of the singer uh, Lane Staley, who died a number of years ago, uh, on my arm. So they're my. F- favorite band and that's my favorite song so i would have that the second song i will have is protect your neck by the wu-tang clan it's my favorite ever hip-hop song and funny enough it's such a long song i used to rap it to my children when they're babies to get them to sleep because it just goes on forever (laughs) i know proper middle class thing to do and lastly third track i will have is oh that's a really tough one i think i'm gonna have to put one of my kind of horrible heavy metal songs on i think i will go for it's a band called norma Jean and the song is called sunday's blood moon that's yep. it by norma Jean. so yeah we'll have a nutshell wu-tang clan and uh and norma Jean.
0: sounds good peter thank you very much for coming on the show and good luck with everything with your podcast your future endeavors and your family sir
1: okay thank you I thank you uh, having me on and good luck too. Uh, it's great to get to know you and hopefully we'll grab a beer sometime in person. Yeah,
0: absolutely. All right, brother. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Peter, if you're listening, thank you very much for coming on the show. And it was a pleasure to meet you. And if you want to know about the backstory or some behind the scenes information, please go to our YouTube channel, Crypto 101 with Matthew Aaron. In future episodes of Crypto 101, we have Mr. Trader Cobb. I was on his show about three months ago and i decided you know what let's get to know him a little bit come on the show and let's wrap out about the crypto space and trading in a bear market also we have on crypto taxes if you remember the episode from last year we talked about crypto taxes well we have another episode about crypto taxes. It's a 101 and an expansion on last year. So look out for that. And before we go, like always, ApogeeCrypto.com, a p o g e e crypto.com, the best place for your real-time prices. Cryptonews.com for your news. And thank you very much to Randy for editing this episode. We'll see you in future episodes of Crypto 101.